Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, it's good to see each and every one of you here today. As we have gathered and we come under the teaching of God's Word, I invite you to go in your Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we continue this series, the Sermon on the Mount. What does it look like? What does Jesus intend for us to live counterculture? Are you thankful that God in all of his splendor and glory longs to have a personal saving relationship with you? Like if that doesn't speak to your heart and your soul and give you encouragement, uh, there's nothing else for you better than that. That God would make a way for sinners that he would send Jesus. You are made in the image of God and when a person repents of their sin and they put their faith and trust in Jesus, then they are born again. They're born from above. You are created to know God, to love God, and to enjoy him forever. And you and I cannot fully know that reality until we come by faith and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives us of all of our sin and he adopts us into the family of God. This is the purpose why you were born. This is the reason why you were created, is to know God and to make him known, is to share his goodness with everybody in your family, everybody in your neighborhood, everybody where you work, that they would see the goodness of God in the face of Jesus Christ as you live, not like everybody else lives, but counterculture. That we live heaven down, not hell up. We live according to heaven's standard, not pulling all the shifting and changing winds that are around us. Prayer is an invitation to be with God. My endeavor has been in last Sunday's message and this Sunday's message, knowing that no one's prayer life is helped if you come in and get six more things that you're not doing right, and here's seven lists for this and 14 lists for that, and do this better and try this, that just crushes us. Hear it this way from Jesus. You're invited. You're invited into the presence of the creator. That's what prayer is. That's what it is to get to know God. How is it that children learn to speak? How did you learn to speak? Your parents talk to you. Your parents, you learned their language, the language of your home, and they spoke to you, and they taught you what all of these different things are in our world and people. I shared in the first service. I have it on video. We were at Greenfield Village. On video, I zoomed right into Sophie. She was sitting on my dad's shoulders, and she said, Dad, Dad. First time she had ever said mom or dad. I was like, I have it on video. And uh, I shared another video. It's on Facebook. We were sitting around the kitchen table. And uh, for some reason, Lola was just dad, 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 dad. So we tried to rework her to say mama. 
And so we went all around. I said, say mama. And then Ginger's mama. And then Emma's mama. And then Sophie had to do her thing. Like, I love you, mama. And then it gets to Lola. And Lola says, dada. I was like, yeah. Dad of the century right there, you know. Our children learn as we speak. How do we learn to talk to God? He gives us his language here. It's his word. This is what helps us make sense of the Psalms. You ever read the Psalms and you wonder what is going on there? Can you really say that to God? This is how he teaches us to talk to him. This is why our prayers are to be scripture fed. When they're fed and overflowing, brimming with scripture, the spirit guides us because the spirit is the one communicating for us. And all of prayer is, come spend time with the God who made you. Who cares how many likes you get on Instagram or whatever followers you have or how much your paycheck is or what your address is if you know the creator loves you and he made you and he wants to be with you, what do you really care what anybody else thinks about your status or fame or standing? It's settled. I'm known and I am loved and I can live in light of that reality. And so can you if you know Christ. Hebrews 4.16, listen to the invitation to draw near. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. What are you gonna find there? Mercy and grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. You say, I'm not sure if he can save me. <laughs> are, you, are you in the uttermost, the furthest out, the farthest away? He saves to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. When we pray, we are not on our own. He's translating for us by his spirit. James 4, 8, draw near to God. And what will he do? He'll draw near to you. I don't know what your understanding of God is. He is creator and he is powerful, but but. Jesus introduces and makes the way through to say, come on in, come on in, it's all right. He's my father and he's your father, come on in. What will happen when we draw near to the Lord? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. That just cannot but help happen. I want to be like my father. You ever see someone, you're like, I know who your dad is. (laughs) I think this week there was a picture shared, James and little James, Infant picture, you know, toddler, toddler. They're they're identical, identical. Why do you think God did this? Do you belong to God? Do you look like your father? Do you think like your father? Do you act like your father? Your father in heaven, beloved, God cares. He cares about what's going on inside of us. Listen to what John Stott says. As we think about last Sunday's sermon and how it folds into this sermon where Jesus gives instruction on praying. John Stott says it this way. He says, the error of the hypocrite is selfishness. Even in his prayers, he is obsessed with his own self-image and how he looks in the eyes of the beholder. I've done this in prayer, try to make acceptable prayers to the Lord, make myself look better to the Lord. It's not just hypocrites out there. It's hypocrite in here. 
But in the Lord's Prayer, Christians are obsessed with God and His name, His kingdom, and His will, not with theirs. True Christian prayer is always a preoccupation with God and His glory. It is therefore the exact opposite of the exhibitionism of hypocrites who use prayers as a vehicle for their own glory. A helpful resource when prayers become real, when prayer becomes real, written by Kyle Strobel and John Coe. I had it recommended and I picked it up and I've started reading it. It has been such an encouragement to me. They say it this way, prayer is not a place to be good. It is a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place to perform. It is a place to be present. Prayer is not a place to be right. It is a place to be known. Prayer is not a place to prove your worth. It is a place to receive worth and offer yourself in truth. Amazing, amazing help I I took away from, from that. Our five distinctives as a church, we long to be known. That It all starts with the pulpit. Christ-centered preaching, but not just me. It's all people everywhere that we are centered on Christ. Christ-centered preaching. That we're passionate in our worship, even when a keyboard does its own thing, right? We passionately worship the Lord. And number three is fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Number four, courageous evangelism. Number five, we make disciples who make disciples. We're on purpose. And if we zero in on that, number three, like we did last Sunday, fervent prayer. This is what we believe. We believe in the power of God. And we are devoted to pray boldly without ceasing. May the Spirit of God cause this to be so. In me, in you, in our church, in this nation, in this world, that we pray without ceasing. That this is prayer right now. As we sing, we're offering our lives before the Lord. It's not just when your eyes are closed, your hands are folded and you're, 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 you know, bowed down. Now I'm praying. No, this is all of life lived before the Lord who sees all and knows all. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. Amen? We need that. We can steal that from the disciples. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. And he will. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 7. And when you pray, Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Repetition. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We need this to become a reality in our lives. Jesus taught his disciples to pray with divine purpose. All right, so we're not wandering. He wants us to understand what are we doing in prayer? Who are we praying? Why are we praying? What is supposed to happen in prayer? Two reasons from Jesus to his disciples, two reasons for praying. 
The first reason is this. Number one, the exaltation of our Father. We see this in verses 9 and 10. There's, there's really two parts to the Lord's Prayer. It's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really not the Lord's Prayer. If you want to see the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus prayed, you have to go to John 17. You have to go to when Jesus is praying in the garden. And you see a prayer that's, that's offered. But this is the disciples' prayer. This is Jesus not praying a prayer. This is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. Disciples are sinners who have turned from their sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus. That's what's different about disciples. It isn't that we are better than anyone else. It's that we've been redeemed. We're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he taught his disciples to pray. Now, because of Christ, his work on the cross, buried, rose again, now he gives us the privilege of calling God our Father. This implies we have a relationship and there's possession there. If ever a child is with someone and their dad is in the office or their dad is somewhere, like, I don't know if I can go in there. It's okay, come on in. It's my dad. Funny story. We lived in Montana. A man who worked for uh, Caterpillar was in our church, had us over, had the pastor over for dinner. Love that, love that very much. I was probably about seven. We go over to his house for dinner and he fixed the Alaskan king crab legs. And my friend said, oh, these are, these are horrible. Don't eat these. Just put them on my dad's plate. He'll eat them. So I did. I was like, well, okay. And I put my crab legs on his plate. I don't have permission to put them on his plate, but my friend said, don't eat them. They're horrible. Put them on my dad's plate. Okay. My parents later were like, what were you doing? I don't know. He told me, put them on his dad's plate. That's what I did. I just did what he said. I didn't know what was going on. I would have never done that. If you know me as a kid, I would have never done that. Like here, take my food and I'm going to put it on somebody else's dad's plate. I wouldn't have done that. My friend Jay said, do that. Put it over there. When you have a father, you have rights. You have entrance. You have access. This is my dad. It's my dad's place. And Jesus is sharing this with us. Unlike our human fathers that at times when you think about your human father, no father is perfect. Next Sunday, Mother's Day, no perfect ladies either. Next month, Father's Day. There's no perfect fathers. So when we think about our fathers, when we think about men who are fathers, when we think about our own lives as fathers, successes and failures, we're all frail, we're fallen. Sometimes fathers can be distant. Sometimes they can be overbearing. They can be harsh. They can be critical. Just a, just a shot from the mouth of a word makes a kid feel like they can never measure up. They can never do enough. Sometimes fathers can be passive. Leave me alone. Leave me alone, I don't have time for you. Sometimes fathers can be disconnected, preoccupied with a thousand other things. Sometimes fathers are unfaithful to their wives. Sometimes fathers are unloving. Sometimes fathers abandon their families. Understand this. Ultimately, all fathers, our lives will come to an end. 
And Jesus is saying, I understand this word, Father, and I'm gonna redeem this word. So whatever failures you've experienced, whatever mistakes that your father has made or men you have made as fathers, understand we're taking our lead from our father who is in heaven. And he's redeeming this word and he's reforming, he's changing us. He's making us that we don't have to say, well, you know, my dad was a, a, a drunkard, so I'm a drunkard. Well, my dad was always angry, so I'm angry. Well, my dad was, you know, a, a womanizer, so well, you know, what chance do I have? Well, my dad just had a filthy mouth, so what chance do I have? If you have a father in heaven, he will reform, remake, and overhaul you if you belong to him if you belong to Christ. And can't we all say, amen. Thank the Lord for this. John Calvin says it this way. He says, whenever we engage in prayer, there are two things to be considered, both that we may have access to God and that we may rely on him with full and unshaken confidence, his fatherly love toward us and his boundless power. He loves us and he has limitless power. That cannot be said of me as a father or of your father or any human father. Endless power? No. But of our father in heaven? Yes. So notice as Jesus is saying, how many of you, you grew up in a religious tradition that you were familiar with saying the Lord's Prayer week after week after week when you gathered for church? All right, a very common thing. And Jesus just finished saying, don't say things repetitively. Now just think about this. And Jesus says, when you pray, implying that his children, his disciples will pray, our Father, this is what you say. Here's a, here is principles for prayer. It, it isn't pray this and only this. It's here's the areas, the categories of prayer. Pray in a manner like this, our and notice he doesn't say, pray to my mother. He doesn't say, pray to saints. He doesn't say, pray to prophets. He doesn't say, pray to angels. He tells us who to pray. Our, what is it? Father. Our Father. This is amazing that we would be given access to our Father who is in heaven. What does that mean? There's no one over him. Everything is under him. All blessings, burdens, trials, nations, kings, emperors, presidents, political systems, good times, bad times. He is over everyone and everything. There's no one greater than him. Our Father, you're in heaven. We have access to the one who is above and over all things. And that means we've been given a family. Because here, Jesus just got finished saying, when you pray, go into your closet. Go into the secret place. Shut the door and pray. And now he's saying, but when you pray, our Father. So here's the opportunity for public prayer. Our Father. That means I have a family. If you belong to Christ, you belong to me and I belong to you. So sorry. That's just the reality. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I love Alistair's remake of that. I'm surprised I'm a part of the family of God. <laughs> How did I get in here? 
grace, his grace, unmerited favor. Sinclair Ferguson, he says it this way. He says, prayer involves struggle, but the struggle is not that of persuading our God. Rather, it is the struggle of, listen now, it is the struggle involved in being subdued by God. Coming out of the dark and secret places in which we've been hiding the truth about ourselves and laying the whole of our lives before him. Prayer is not trying to get God, do my will, do my will, do my will. Prayer is saying, show me your will. What is Jesus saying here? First of all, he gives three requests. What are we praying for? For the exaltation of our Father who is in heaven. First of all, that God's name be honored. May God's name be honored. Hallowed be your name. God is transcendent and therefore he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our adoration. So do we give that to him, beloved? Do you give to him the rightful place of reverence in your daily life? Or does God fit in wherever he conveniently finds a spot and you think, well, that's good enough. Just stay over there. When I need you, I'll come. I'll find you. His name is to be hallowed. That's the word hegeazo. It's holy, honored as holy. The name of God is synonymous with his character, with his attributes, that God is holy, he is just, he is true, he is faithful, he's good, he is love, he's eternal, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient. This is his name. Remember when Moses was sent to Egypt and he says, who will I say sent me? And from the burning bush, the Lord says, I am that I am. That's my name. Not I was, not I will be, not I hope I'm not impeached or I hope I get reelected or I hope that things don't turn on me and there's not mutiny. I am, I am Moses. And when Jesus was in the garden and he said, who are you looking for to the mob that came after him? He responded with, I am. And they all fell down backwards on trial. Are you the son of God? Are you the Christ? I am. The Jews ripped their clothes, the religious leaders, because they knew what he was saying. Contrary to modern cults that say Jesus never claimed deity, he never claimed to be God, then why did the Jews repeatedly take up stones to kill him? Why? Because he being a man claims to be God. And ultimately they put him on a cross and he defeated death, hell, and the grave. That's what God does. And we sing to him and we worship him. We're to honor his name. Doesn't it just get you, child of God, when someone takes the name of your father in vain and something good happens or something bad happens and they use God's name as if it's just spare change to be thrown around at any use. It's not, it's not being reverent with God's name or the name of Christ, the name of the Lord. But it's not just that. This week, headlines broke again of another pastor and another famous, famous so-called Christian and horrific details found on his computer and he's now arrested and, 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 and the world looks on and they say, that's Christians. 
What a mockery. What a joke. What a horrific thing. That's what God says about it. We're not being hypocrites about it. That's wrong. That's sinful. God does not bless that. And that's not Jesus. Jesus is faithful. Listen to what Psalm 29 verse 2 says. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Ascribe unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Psalm 115 verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, Can you say that with the psalmist? It's not about me. Can you say with John the Baptist, he must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. That's what the psalmists are saying. That's what scripture teaches our hearts to pray and aligns our attitudes and our minds with truth. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. So we can just lift that in prayer. God, we want your name to be hallowed. We want your name to be honored. Lord, Help me to honor your name in everything. May my family honor your name. May our church honor your name. We want your name honored in all of these nations, in Iraq, in Egypt. We want your name honored in India and in Africa and in Romania. And we are giving to that end. And we are looking for what you are doing, that your name is praised, that your name is glorified. And it begins right here in the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we honor your name. Secondly, Jesus says, pray, may God's kingdom come. May God's kingdom come. In verse 10, your kingdom come. Now here, there's a reality that the kingdom has already come and the kingdom is yet to come. It has already come in that Jesus came. His reign and his rule display that he came and he reigns and he rules in the hearts of followers. He said the kingdom is in the midst of you. He's talking about himself, the kingdom. And this kingdom work happens inside of us. You're not born with the kingdom inside of you. There's not a God spark in you. You need to be born again. You need to be made new. And this comes through the gospel. And when Jesus takes ownership of your life and gives you access to the Father, and you can say, our Father who is in heaven, a non-believer cannot say that. And he says, welcome into the presence of my Father, and I'm changing your heart. I have changed and am changing and will change you. That he reigns and he rules in the hearts of his followers. So we pray for the billions who don't know Christ, the millions who have never heard the name of Christ, that they will hear the gospel. Remember what Jesus told to Nicodemus, the religious, the teacher of Israel who was religious, knew the Bible, was faithful, was honorable, was very well respected. And Jesus says, there's there's something you're missing, Nicodemus. John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't get there on your own, beloved, and nor can I. You must be born again. You must be born again. In Acts 4.12, Peter preaching. And what does he say about this name? And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
That's why we sing the song, one name, outlast the earth you formed. It's the name of Jesus. There are so many songs in each one of these scriptures that we read that, that we sing these songs and we lift them and, and that's prayer and praise to God. But you must be saved. And there's only one name that saves. So the kingdom has come and the kingdom in a future sense is yet to come. That when Jesus returns and he will return, he will come in power and glory. So right now it doesn't look like to the common unredeemed eye that Jesus reigns and rules, but he does. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's in complete sovereign control of all things. And at the moment in time, the last person redeemed, chosen before the foundation of the world, and the trumpet will sound and Christ will return and the church will be caught up with the Lord. And one day he will come physically, visibly, and he will reign and he will rule on the earth. We believe this. This is the gospel. This is Christianity. And so we look for that coming day and that coming day changes today in our lives, what we prioritize, what we value, whose kingdom are we living for, his kingdom or my kingdom, his eternal, infinite kingdom, or my small little world of one. This affects how I serve. This affects how I worship. This affects how I give. This affects how I forgive. This affects everything about my life. This affects how much time and, and, and I draw near to the presence of the, my Father in heaven, praying to him through Christ by the Holy Spirit. Does this define you? Oh, we praise the Lord. He is coming. Listen to what Revelation says. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, John writing, the apostle, he says, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, say it with me, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That was just choir practice for heaven. That is going to happen one day. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is not, will you confess that? Is, the, is he your father in heaven or is he judge? Is Jesus your savior or judge? Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign, how long? Forever and ever. You want me to sing the Messiah? I can do it. You won't like it. But that's where it comes from. Ever and ever and ever and ever. Revelation twenty two twenty, almost the end of the New Testament of the entire Bible. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. And John says, amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, let's go. Understand this. This is first century. And John the apostle is saying, I don't see how the world can get any worse than right now. Come on, Jesus. If this world is going to be resolved, fixed, put back together, you have to do it. First century. Oh, if he could watch today's news and see the headlines today, right? He's not worried about it. He's in the presence of the lamb slain for sinners. And we'll see him one day as well. So can I ask you the question, which kingdom are you living for? 
Which kingdom are you living for? And we can go to our Father in heaven and we say, Lord, we want your name to be honored. And we pray, may your kingdom come and start with me and my family and our church and use us for your glory. And the third thing that Jesus said, pray, may God's will be done. May God's will be done. That your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reality is, beloved, God's will is done in heaven. There's no rebellion in heaven. There's no angel, oh, see what I can do. When an angel is commanded, take the message to the virgin. Dispatched. On mission. God's will is done in heaven by saints and angels. His will is done. And we're praying, Lord, we want your will to be realized here on earth. Disciples of the Lord Jesus, we long to have our will and our desires submitted to the Father's heart, submitted to the Father's will. This is what Paul was describing when he wrote to the believers in Rome, Romans 12, verse 1. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed. That word means to be pressed into the mold of the world. But live counterculture. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is the place where we are intended to live. That is the place where we find the blessing of God. Oh, we sang the song, Waymaker, and we love to sing that song when God is making the way that we chose, the way that we want. But when God chooses a way that is like, wait a second, I wasn't praying for that way. Can we still sing that? Waymaker, miracle worker. J.I. Packer, he says it this way. He says, here, more clearly than anywhere, the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not, listen now, not to make God do my will. but to bring my will into line with his. Can we let that just kind of evaluate that? Am I praying to make God do my will? Oh, I, I tried that Christian thing. I prayed and this went bad, that happened. God didn't do my will, but a disciple's prayer is, I want your will. I want your will. Where do we learn this from? Jesus' prayer. The Lord's prayer, Luke twenty two forty two, in the garden. Father, if you are willing, remove, their, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, this is the pattern for our prayer. This is not always perfectly prayed by me or by you, but this is what we long for. I can't tell you I've always prayed that way. But the Lord is merciful and he's gracious and he, he translates for me by the Spirit of God, Romans 8, into what the prayer should be. And he's not gonna throw me away and I don't have to hide from him or pretend that I'm better than I am 
Because at the end of the day, the only thing good about me is Jesus. And he knows that. Who is there to condemn me? Romans 8 says. Jesus knows everything about me. Oh, Satan can throw accusations. He doesn't even have to lie about me. He can be truthful. But Jesus knows all that. And Jesus isn't condemning me, and Jesus isn't throwing me away. So what do I have to fear? Draw near to my Father in heaven, and this is for you as well. So we pray for the exaltation of our Father. May his name be honored. May his kingdom come. May his will be done. Start right here. I want to do your will. The second category of prayer, the pattern for our prayer, is this. Pray the expression of our need. We have needs. We're here on earth, and we're needy. The first section is vertical. Lift your eyes up. It matches a, the little box down at the bottom. Reverence, look upward. A response to look downward. Now, what do we do with our requests? Now, now this matters. How did your father treat you? Were you a bother to him? Did you feel like you're an inconvenience to him? You're a nuisance to him? Uh, maybe he was miserly, like real tight, didn't want to share, didn't want to help. Maybe your father was like, here, you can have whatever you want. You can have whatever you want. And tried to show love by buying love and set up a future marriage to be, whoa, look out, right? I don't know how you understand father, but last week we saw when we seek the father's face, what is he more than willing to give to us? His hand. And he holds us. And earthly, if you live long enough, whoever that father and son, if they are even father and son in the picture, then the time changes and the son grows up and the father grows weaker and the son is holding the father's hand. But not so with our Father in heaven. His hand never grows weaker. His hand, his eyesight never dims. His hearing never grows dull. He's our Father in heaven. And so we all can go to him and rely on him. And he is holding us. He is longing to spend time with us and says, draw near, come near, draw near. All of you, come to me. Trust me. What do we need we need our daily provision. That's just basic needs of life. Give us this day our daily bread. As children of God, we saw this, we were, you know, studied through chapter five, chapter six. Listen, in chapter five, verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God children of God. But when he says sons of God, it's more important because in first century, daughters were not part of the inheritance. Sons were. So when Jesus says children of God, but he says sons of God, peacemakers, sons of God, he's saying it doesn't matter if you're man, male, female, and what ethnicity you are, you belonging to Christ are part of the family. All in, joint heirs with Christ. This is amazing. This is a blessing. And so now we're called children of God. And in these chapters, chapter five, chapter six, 10 times Jesus says, your father, your father. Four times he says, your father in heaven, your heavenly father. One time, this where we're studying here, our father. That's 15 mentions of us having a father. What do you think he's trying to communicate to his followers when Jesus is going to ascend and leave them, send his spirit, 
you're never alone. You have a good father and these disciples would suffer and many of them would die. And they still had and have a good father. And when trials come in our lives as followers of Christ, disciples of the Lord Jesus, we still have a good father no matter what comes. Now, some of the early church fathers, they struggled with this because it seemed like you just came off this mountain of vertical worship and you were seeing God exalted and your kingdom come and your will be done and your name be hallowed. Uh, Lord, what's for lunch? That just didn't seem... Lord, what's for lunch? You know, that's better. Maybe that's, and that still sounds a little bit too trivial. Um, if you don't have food, how long do you stay around? If you don't have needs, your daily bread, Jesus is referring to the, the basic needs of life. You need food, you need shelter, you need clothing. Good job, everybody, wearing clothes. Nice job. Okay, you need that. He's saying your basic needs of life, they're not too mundane or beneath God. I'm only about the spiritual and the high and mighty things. No, that's not God. That's not our Father in heaven. He says, tell me what you need. I already know what you have need, but I want to talk with you. If you have a son, daughter, go away to college, and the only time you ever hear about him, like, hey, I need some more money. Hey, need some more money. Hey, could you send some money? Hey, Dad. Hey, I need some money. You'll have a heart attack if they ever call and say, hey, how you doing? You need money? No, I just was calling to see how you're doing. Like, dad, hello? Hello? <laughs> what? Why? Because it's not that they don't care. It's not that our parents don't care. It's they want the fellowship. They want the communion. That's what prayer is. It's not just the, here it is, and here's my agenda today, Lord. I have this need, this need, this need. All right, see you tomorrow. Thanks, son. Great. My prayer life is so boring. Yeah, because it's all about you, me. It's boring. I need to know God. I need to seek my Father. That's not boring. He's infinite. And so Jesus is saying, pray. You need your daily provision. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The God who spoke the sun into existence and we get all these shadows shifting and changing, he doesn't change. He's greater than the sun. The sun is fixed. So beloved, we learn to trust that God will supply all our need. We will rely on him fully. He's 100% sovereign in providing and we're 100% responsible to work, save, not spend everything. Be diligent. Be generous. He graciously provides, and we'll see it later on in chapter 6. He takes care of everything. He takes care of all the birds, fish. He feeds them all. Sometimes you go to, you go to lunch with somebody and, you know, the waitress comes and puts the bill down. Like, who, who wants the bill? Separate? Together? Like, yeah, put it together. Somebody comes and they put it down at the end. You pick it up. Like, I'll take care of it. You really want that to happen with the bill for all creation? <laughs> I've got a lot of money saved. Oh, let me work on this for, you know, one day. I got it, Lord. Feed all creation. Yep, tapped out. Don't have it. Not enough. 
And he's been doing it long before you and I were born. He's been doing it for all of creation. And Jesus says, check out the birds. What are they worried about? And your father feeds them, takes care of them. And are you not of much more value than they? Pour your anxiety into his heart. Stop worrying. It's not helping you anyway. Seek your father. Go to your father. Philippians 4.19, Paul writes, and my God, see that possession there? My father, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How deep are his reserves? <laughs> He's got it. He's got enough. We engage in work and we enjoy our small stories being part of his great story. We learn to trust him. We grow in gratitude. He gives blessings. And sometimes, beloved, beloved, he withholds blessings. In his goodness, sometimes he answers our prayers with yes. Sometimes he says, you're gonna need to wait. I can't trust you with this yet. Sometimes he says no. And in all answers, he's good. We may not understand. There's a lot of prayers that have gone unanswered in my estimation. But I trust him. I invite you to trust him. I encourage you to trust him. Job 121, after he lost everything, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Read it with me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And chapter two gets worse for Job but he trusted. And that book has served as a help for the church for generations upon generations upon generations to trust in the goodness of a father in heaven. So meditate, meditate on Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is a beautiful psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then the psalmist goes on and lists them. Later on in Psalm 103, he remembers our frame that we're just dust. He knows us, he made us. He didn't forget, I made you from dirt. But I gave you a living spirit inside of you. Breathe the breath of life into us. Beloved, we can bring our need for daily provision to the Lord. We need our sins to be forgiven. This is the second area that Jesus says here. Bring this to the Father. Express your need to him. You need your daily provision, and you need your sins forgiven. We need our sins forgiven. Past sins. Present needs, past sins. And so we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. These are, these are hooked together. These are linked together. Forgive us our debts as we also, this is what we are doing because you've forgiven us, we forgive our debtors. So for a person who cannot forgive, they have to do serious evaluation are they little in their understanding of God's forgiveness or do they not know God's forgiveness at all? If they say that person, I will not forgive them. We forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
Beloved, this unites us. We're all debtors. Before God, we're debtors. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. We're condemned by the law of God. We are not holy. We are not good. We're in trouble. And he has forgiven us in his great love. He forgave us. Sent Jesus to die. Carry the cross that was ours. Died the death we deserve. Rose to life again. Do you believe in the gospel? Now, when John writes 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, he talks about the cleansing that is a once for all, the moment a sinner's eyes are open to how good Jesus is and they trust in him and they are washed whiter than snow. They are justified. They are fully received. They are regarded as justified before God, just as if they've never sinned and just as if they've always perfectly obeyed. They're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And 1 John 1, 9 talks about the continual cleansing that we need. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is what happened in the upper room in John 13, when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And he remember what happened when he got to Peter. And Peter was like, oh Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, then you've got nothing to do with me, Pete. He's like, oh, I'll take the full, you know, all the lights on the car wash. Give them all to me. And Jesus is like, no, your feet are nasty. You're clean, heart clean. And then Jesus says, but not all of you. Now who's he talking about? He's talking about the son of the devil, Judas, who's about to go betray him. And Jesus washed his feet, cleaned off the nastiness on his feet from the streets, but his heart remained vile, unredeemed, unconverted, so close to Jesus, unregenerate, a child, not of the father, but of the devil. And Jesus is talking about, Peter, I You're clean, but I need to wash your feet. We need this continual cleansing. When we walk through the world in day and day life, we still have indwelling sin in us. And where do we go with that? Hide it? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it there, deal with it. Go to the throne and tell God and be honest with him about it. We're in need of grace. He's shown us mercy. He's shown us grace. And we evidence his work of grace in our lives by the way we extend this grace to others. Those who have offended us, those who have wronged you. If I was to say, let's camp out here a little bit, how long could you camp out on the list that you have of people who have done you wrong? And they're on your list, whatever that list is called in your head. Is that how God treats you? Because that's how you're going to think God treats you. Like he just ignores some things about you? No, he doesn't. Well, then is he going to love me less? No. But he's going to change you. He's going to remake you. Jesus will teach in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. He owed the debt he couldn't pay. He was forgiven. Have mercy. He was forgiven all. He went out, grabbed the guy who owed him a little bit, a, a payable debt, grabbed him by the throat, threw him in prison, And Jesus' whole point of that is, isn't that unthinkable? Well, yeah, Lord, that's unthinkable. Mm. Okay, disciples, how much have you been forgiven? Everything, Lord. Mm -hmm. And who can't you forgive? Who Do you live just offended, just waiting for people to offend you? 
You need your Father in heaven. If he is truly your Father, you need him to change your heart. And you're going to put the offending nerves away and say, how can you offend me? I've been forgiven everything. You can't offend me. Do you realize the kind of offending proof people Jesus is going for here? You're telling me I got to work harder? No. No. You're telling me I got to do better at forgiving? No. What are you saying then? Seek your Father in heaven and ask Him for the help and He'll do it in you. Receive it from Him. Big difference. It's all the difference in the world. We're utterly dependent on the Lord for His grace. Oh, we need you, Lord. Our daily provision, we need you. Sins to be forgiven, we need you. Cleanse us. And the last thing Jesus says we need to pray for is to be protected from evil. We need protection from evil. We need his protection. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Your Bible, it might say the evil one. Well, it includes that. It's not just that, though. There's more wrong than just Satan. Satan's included in this, but there's temptation that comes in. And how many times do you say, well, the devil made me do it? Yeah, no, sometimes it was just you. Big old stubborn, selfish me. That's what made me do it. We need protection from evil. We ask the Lord, Jesus says, pray. Lead us not into temptation. So Lord, don't lead me into testing and trials that I can't handle. In the power of the Holy Spirit, this word temptation here, perismos, it's a word that entails tests and trials. It's not just enticement to sin. God is not the author of sin. Prayerfulness is our key to staying the course, to living in dependence on the Lord and watchfulness, just as Mark 14, 38, Jesus told the disciples on the night of his betrayal, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, can't we all say amen to that? What we want to do and then what we actually do, Lord, could you put those together? Could you bring that disparity together? Beloved, God is not the author of sin. He does not tempt us, James wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he does allow you and he does allow me to be tried. He does allow us to go through testing, refining, purifying for our good and for his glory. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the apostle Paul says, with every temptation, the Lord will make a way of escape. Why? That you may be able to endure it. There's never a sin that I, as a child of God, I had to sin. I couldn't help it. There was no way out. They would have killed me if I would have not sinned. That's called a martyr. And many have died and shed their blood and had their blood shed for us in this long history of the church. There's a way of escape. But what is death to a believer? The usher into the presence of God. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. So that's what Paul was saying. Hey, if you're gonna kill me, go ahead. If you're gonna leave me alive, I'm gonna tell you about Jesus. Which will it be? So we rely on the Lord. We come boldly to the throne of grace. 
Jesus made the access for us. He gave us the way and we bring our needs, our daily provision, our need for sins to be forgiven, our need to be protected from evil. How is this all possible? Because we have a friend in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. Not some of them, all of them. Take them to the Lord in prayer. In our obedience to Jesus, if we're gonna do what he said, if we're gonna understand about prayer, then this is what he's teaching us. Prayer exists for the exaltation of our Father and the expression of our need. And you're invited. And you have an appointment. Don't miss those appointments. Go with others into these places, in, into these appointments. In Christ, we have the blessed relationship, the exclusive relationship with God as Father in heaven. He is available to us when? Always. How long? Forever. What's above him? Nothing. What about us beneath him? He says, come. And Jesus said it so well. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And what will he give? Rest. What kind of rest? Rest for your souls. Let's stand together. Father, we need help. Oh, we need cleansing to be reminded of your grace and your mercy and your goodness to have our attention drawn up through your word by your spirit to see our Father elevated in heaven and we exalt you, Lord. And then to bring our needs to you, to express those, to know that you will not run from us, you are not bothered with us, you're not about done with us, but you are faithful to accomplish what you have begun in us. So Father, we pray and we ask you to teach us to pray. And we boldly say, Lord, that you are worthy and we are needy. And that is where we intend to live all of our lives. Thank you that yours is the kingdom and yours is the glory and yours is the power and glory forever and ever and ever and ever. And you have made this way possible through Jesus, our Savior. And we give you praise and thanks and pray that all who have not trusted in you will come by faith and trust in you today upon the sound of this message they will trust in you for Jesus sake amen thank you again for listening to teaching from the word at Grace Community Church we are located in Richmond Michigan you can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.